Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets of great storytelling. introduced to today's guest a number of years ago at Thriller Fest in New York City, where he was performing a parody song for the awards ceremony, Standing Ovation. Then the next year, Standing Ovation again. I started thinking, okay, this guy can write songs and he can sing, but can he write stories? Well, the answer to that is a resounding yes. Daniel D.J. Palmer is the USA Today best-selling author of 10 critically acclaimed suspense novels, With tech-centric themes, Daniel's novels focused on ordinary men pitted pitted against extraordinary circumstances. He published his first novel, Delirious, after a decade-long career in e-commerce, where he helped launch first-generation websites for major online retailers, including Barnes & Noble and Dick's Sporting Goods. Following the success of his publishing career, he founded Day in the Life Media, a video production and communication company committed to helping brands identify their brand heroes so that they can tell stories in a way that directly impacts the bottom line. A recording artist, accomplished blues harmonica player and lifelong Red Sox fan, which we won't hold against him, Daniel lives in New Hampshire with his wife and two children. He's also actively involved with the Red Sox home base program, helping to raise money for veterans suffering from PTSD. He holds a master's degree from Boston University and currently lives in New Hampshire with his wife and two children. Daniel's latest novel, The New Husband, just released and is available now wherever books are sold. So, Daniel, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, Wherever um, here is. I don't even know where... I know where I am. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure where where you are. I'm in eastern Tennessee. I live, um, I'm, I'm here at, the, at home and, and uh, near the um, Appalachian Mountains. We call them Appalachian. I don't know if you say Appalachian or Appalachian, but... Appala- um, Appalachian. I would yeah. say Appalachian, I think. Appalachian Mountains. So it's yeah, yeah. Appal- How do you say it? What's the Appalachian? right? Appalachian. <laughs> Appalachian. All right. Yeah, Appalachian. So we live about maybe 15 minutes from the, uh, from the trail and um, just... Uh, seven to ten minutes to get up in the mountains, so it's a beautiful area. I fell, I fell in love with Tennessee the first time I moved here, and um, it was really interesting because just down the road in a place called Jonesboro, Tennessee, they have the, it's called the National Storytelling Festival. And so every year they have some of the best storytellers from around the world come, like 25,000 people come to this little town, and they put up these giant circus tents, people listen to stories all weekend, and I was like, this is my kind of place. I really, I yeah. mean, I love stories, storytelling, right? So I was like, this, this fits. It's outdoors, plus it's a home of storytelling, so it's a perfect place, place for me. Now, you guys live in, what, Massachusetts, right? Or New Hampshire? Well, I live in New Hampshire, but I live in what I would call New Hampshire light. It's pretty much over the border. From Massachusetts, it's not, uh-huh. it's not like real New Hampshire. There's real New Hampshire where you're up there in the mountains and the woods. This is woodsy, yeah. but it's not um, It's not like super hardcore, outdoorsy, New Hampshire sort of living. Yeah. Kind of cush. It's like North Boston. Call it, you could call it North Boston where I am. 
North Boston. Well, I hope that you and your family are weathering the storm of the um, isolation and the quarantines and everything well. I know you have some kids. I don't know if you all are, are, are cooped up home together or not, but... Um, yeah, we're we're all we're all cooped up home together. I mean, I actually have a place I can go to write. I can uh-huh. leave the house, but I'm having a hard time leaving the house because everyone's around, and so I feel like oh, I should help help with cooking, help with some cleaning, help with the schoolwork. So I'm finding myself home. Um, you know, I can sneak up to another part of the house where nobody bugs me and. And get some stuff done. Although it's tough to concentrate, I'm just I, you know I think for everybody it's probably tough to concentrate. Um, and I know um, for me too, you'd think. I mean, I'm a writer, so you'd think, okay, this is just more of the same. But but it hasn't been. It hasn't felt that no, way. No. Yeah. No, you're just not dialed way. in. You're not. You're not able to lock like lock in like normal. Yeah. Every four seconds, you're going. Wait, did something crazy happen? And then you go over to Facebook or some media website. And you're like, yes, something crazy happened, and it was only four minutes ago that something else crazy happened. And so, it's it's really you're kind of on your toes. You're not really in your in your groove. Yeah. But you know, we're we're professionals, so you know we have to dig deep, get the work done, no matter what. Um, yeah. I feel bad. You know, I like my life really hasn't changed, which is sort of sad. Like all of a sudden I realized, wait, I never see anybody. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and so then you kind of come to that realization like, wait, I'm, am I lonely? Am I fine? No, <laughs> I, I actually, I think I chose this for a reason. Um, you know, I think people are discovering they're on zoom calls all the time and they're just discovering how awful those are. I mean, it's really draining. I think it's all draining. The kids are drained from, trying to learn distance learning through zoom and, and whatnot. It's just, it's just not, um, you know, it's not optimal, but this is also the stuff of, you know, character building for people. This is how generations get hardened and tough and endure and battle. And we've seen it before. I, I grew up, I mean, when I grew up, there was nothing. We didn't have anything. We had a threat, you know, an existential threat of the cold war with Russia. But pretty much, it was, you know, great 80s action flicks, super awesome grunge in the 90s, <laughs> little, uh, little, you know, kind of uh, go-go fun in the 90s, too. And then, really, everything turned in 2001 with 9-11. I feel like 9-11 was kind of the start of one tough thing after another. Um, you know, we had 9-11 and after that, then there was the crash and then we had a little bit of, okay, then, and now we have the pandemic to, you know, pandemic number two, but this one's pretty bad. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a lot, there's a lot happening in the world. So the reason we all can't concentrate, I think is, um, anybody else out there listening who cannot concentrate, do not feel badly. I saw a, a good meme today. It was, it was, uh, you know, this little character um, kind of staring off into space. And it was, you know, other people during the pandemic learning how to meditate, baking bread, read 15 books. And then this character just kind of eyes all the liquor in front of him. <laughs> it's like me, what I've done. <laughs> so, you know, we're all getting through it in our own unique way, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... Um, it. <laughs> It's disruptive in the sense, too, that, you know, 
um, people are just uncertain about everything and about. I know uh, where I live in Tennessee, you know, people are really anxious to get back to normal. And uh, so that's just, I, I don't know if it's just our part of the country. We, ha- we haven't been hit as hard as other, thankfully, as other parts. But but people are ready to, um, to get a little, little stir crazy, which gives us a, an opportunity to point them in direction of some good stories to read. And um, That's right. Yeah, Take advantage, one things, everyone. <laughs> one of the things I was thinking of a little bit is, uh, you know, there are a million different um, television channels out there, just about as many streaming services, and yet we write these novels that we hope people will sit down and have, you know, an encounter with for 8, 10, 12 hours or whatever it is, to do, whatever it takes to, to read a novel. And I was wondering, if you do you think there's something unique and special about this type of entertainment, of reading novels that really, you know, can reach people in a different way than, say, just binge-watching some show on, on television? Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if I sat down at my computer right now and Googled how reading is different for your brain, I'd yeah. come up with a bunch of different um, studies that show it It activates different parts of your brain. Um, it creates, it kind of forces you to form the pictures in your mind. It's an, it's an, engage, you're very engaged in the creative process. Yeah. You're, you're more active with TV. I think you, you sometimes can just be more passive. Um, it's harder to let your mind wander while you're actively reading. So I think you're focused a little bit more intensely. And I think from that, if the characters are right and the story's right, maybe you can, you can feel like you're a little bit more a part of the story. So you may have even at times more empathy hmm. for, the, yeah. for the characters in the books you're reading. Um, but TV, I mean, TV is amazing too. I mean, they're just right. very different. They're very different mediums um, uh, for conveying an entertainment and story. And so, you know, I would never want one without. You know, I'd never want a world where there was just one. Glad no, we I have hear the choice. You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking. You know, one of the things um, when people read um, a book like one of your uh, one of your novels, you let's say that. Um, a, a million people read your novel. Well, there. Oh, there good. Actually, well, there we go. <laughs> I know, Let's right? Let's go pop some champagne. Thank <laughs> there are a million different versions of the story being watched in people's imagination. If yeah. we made a film out of one of your, uh, you know, your novels, a million people watch it. It's the exact same thing that they all see, and so yeah. I think it's it's so interesting to me that. You know, we create these worlds, these story worlds, we write them, and everybody who reads it will picture a slightly different house or a slightly different villain, uh, what his face looks like or a hero or whatever. That's pretty, that's, it's, it's magical in a certain way. I, I, I think so, yeah, it is. But at the same time, the, the important thing, which is the emotional connection, um, it varies in all these mediums yeah. for when it comes to story. So yeah. one person thinks The Sopranos is the greatest television show ever made. Another person will think I'll, I, couldn't, I could watch one episode and I couldn't watch it again. And so 
I think while we all have a different version of a house or a face or a cat or a dog or whatever other noun, um, we all kind of know what a house is, what a kitchen is, what a dog is, what a cat is. And I think one of the challenges for as a writer for these kinds of books is how much do I need to show about the kitchen, about the cat, about the face. Right. Yeah. Um, so that you can just kind of create your picture and move on to the thing you really want, which is what happens next. And so, you know, some writers like, um, if you're Pat Conroy or whatever, you can write about the kitchen, um, as much as you want. And people are just going to want to keep reading and reading what you write. Cause you're just a, an amazing crafts person with words, which is not my, that's not how I, I go about it. That's not what I do. Um, you know, I, I, I do use descriptive writing, but sure. Try to, I try to keep it, keep it to that point where I feel like you got what you have the picture. I want you to have whatever it looks like in your head is, yeah. is okay by me, but you have, I gave you enough to have a picture. Yeah. And then to connect, you know, with the character, with the story, with the emotion, I like how you mentioned, you know, the emotional resonance that's really at the heart of any, I think, well-told story, whether it's a novel or it's a TV show or whatever is touching people in that place. Again, it isn't just imagining it. It's actually somehow, you know, connecting with it on that, on that yeah. deeper level. Well, you know? well the, the reality is, if you ask somebody, well, why are you turning the page, right? Why did you turn the page? Um, a lot of times, the answer that they'll give you is, I want to know what happens next. Right. But if there's, if there's no connection to a character at some kind of emotional level. I'm not saying that it has to be the greatest character ever written, but you have to be, your interest has to be piqued. You have to be intrigued enough to say, I want to know what happens next. And it really comes down to, you have to have some kind of relationship with this fictional person or person's, that have been, you know, rendered on the page or the screen or whatever way you're reading your book. Um, and that's where the, I think the real magic of storytelling, that's kind of, that's kind of where it, it really comes down to craft. You have to be good at your job in order to, to make that experience happen. Now, are some of those things going through your head, you know, as you're working on your characterization, how they respond to some situations, um, or uh, do you consciously focus in that direction, or do you kind of just say, okay, I'm just going to work on the plot here? Sort of what's your process as far as it goes? Character more first or conflict? First, I cry a lot. I just (laughs) cry. I just stare at the blank page and I cry. Um, so the engine of story is conflict. Conflict is so key. So if you find you're writing and you're writing, you're boring yourself, it, you probably have no conflict going on. Um, that's going to feel, make the story feel propulsive. And then it's a juggling act and a balancing act of, you know, how much of the cat do I describe? 
How much of the conflict do I put on the page? How does this advance the plot in any meaningful way? What about this character am I going to show? And what is it that I'm showing about this character that's going to make the reader feel compelled to want to turn the page? So you're basically... You can't you can't go all over the character, all over the plot, all over the description, all over to uh, conflict. If you go too far in any one direction, it's like imagine you're on a oh, here's a good visual. You're on like a, a board that's balanced on a ball, yeah. and you just have to kind of keep balance. You have to keep that board from tipping too far one direction or the other. And that's the balancing act that you do while you're, while you're um, writing the book. At least that's what I do. Um, yeah, no, I'm writing the book, and then and then a bunch of times I don't get it right on the first go. I miss. Um, and that is why you really want, and I depend upon a team of people who I trust yeah. to help me see. Hey, you know, I, I, somebody once said to me when they were giving some critique, they said, um, I'm not a, I'm not a great writer. I can't do what you do. I can't sit down and create the words that you create. I can't make the characters or the situations that you come up with. I just can't think like that. It's just not how my brain thinks. So I'm not a good writer, but I'm a very, very, very good reader. And hmm. this isn't working. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then Neil Gaiman, he said something I've always, it's always stuck with me that I love, which is um, if somebody tells you exactly what's wrong, what's not working for them and how to fix it, they're usually wrong. If somebody tells you that something's not working for them and they don't know how to solve the problem, they're usually right. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so, so that's, I, I look for that a lot of times, which is, you know, a central question that's not in the story isn't, isn't coming through clear enough, fix it. The, the, this, this kind of element feels cumbersome or slow and it's slowing down the plot, fix it. They don't, nobody ever tells me how to fix anything. Yeah. They just can tell me, what's not working for them. And I don't know another trade where you would do that. Like I, you know, if I call a plumber, I, you know, I can't have a plumber <laughs> just kind of say, you know, well, I'm not exactly sure what to do, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the, this is, a, this is a trade where, you know, I have to, I have to, oh, I guess it is the same, right? Like I would say to the plumber, it's clogged and the plumber would say, I know how to fix it. So there you go. Yeah, we're just trade. We're craftspeople. We're doing a trade. <laughs> now, some authors don't really like input from editors and their agents and their team and so on, but it sounds like you really value that. Uh, well, my favorite story of all time, I have, I have two good stories for you on this one. The um, Ooh, I'm not sure I can tell one of the stories. I don't know what the <laughs> word is anymore. But I can definitely tell the story of Lee, Lee Child, who's one of yeah. my hero writers and such a great person. And I'm really grateful to have, you know, been able to get to know him over the years. He, he, he told this story about um, 
an editor who read something he did and, and the editor commented, Oh, Hey, it, it would, it would be better if such and such happened at this point in the story. And Lee got quiet and thought about it and goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. That probably would be better, but that's not what happened. <laughs> I, I love I kind of love that. That's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a that's probably a better story, but didn't happen. This is what happened. What I wrote. Um, and uh, can you? I, I don't. I can't tell the other story because I don't want to use the wrong word and upset somebody. So no, I'll just fine. skip. I'll skip <laughs> the other story. Although it's one of the great stories of all time. Yeah. Um, that's why we miss out. But <laughs> the. Um, but, but the, yeah, I know uh, Lee you know, doesn't really love having, uh, you know, I, I think from my discussions with him, you know, basically when he writes a story, that's pretty much how it's going to be published. I mean, he's not going to go and rewrite the whole thing based on input from people. And, no. and uh, you know, and that's his, that's his approach and his style. And, and, uh, but it's interesting that you really, you know, do value the input of people, um, do you did you ever join a critique group or anything along those lines? Um, no. Yeah, I no, either, I, that's you know? not going to work for me. Um, yeah. The uh, the the um, I, 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 it, it really has to be somebody who I know. Like, if I have to build a rapport, I have to have a real trust. Yeah. Um, if I don't have that trust, I, it's not gonna, I, I'm just, I just don't want to bother. Um, there are some people who I send the book to who are kind of outside my core inner circle and I'll get their feedback and I'll be like, Oh, okay. You know, it's easy to do. And if there's some logic to it, fine. And I generally can go, go ahead and fix it. But to do the, to have somebody like really, I, I feel like people, I feel like people would focus on minutia and I don't need minutia. I, I need the, the bigger picture. I need the person who's, who isn't a great, who isn't a writer trying to be a writer. I need the person who's a great reader. Yeah. That's, that's what, and, and I, once I have my people, I don't, I don't want to expand it into yeah. a, no, that's, that's good. You know, I am not a huge fan of most of the critique group things out there. People are always like, well, but don't you want people to write better stories? And, of course, I want them to write, you know, great stories. But I just see so much negativity in a lot of those circumstances and people who aren't experts giving advice to people, and they're following it, and I'm like, that didn't really improve your story, and they keep reworking the same scene week after week. You know week what it is? Week, you, know? you know what it is? If you, like, one of the hardest things to resist is the urge to edit somebody else. Yeah. So if you're in a group of people, you're, you're basically saying, oh, you need, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to have an opinion, and you're going to have an opinion whether you're it's needed or not. You're just going right. to come up with something. And so then you're going to end up with a bunch of stuff that's not really going to serve you or serve the story. Whereas if you, if you really pick who's guiding you, then you can, you can take that information and, and it'll be much more um, valuable and of service to the story. 
Now, you write mainly thrillers and suspense, um, a, lot, a lot of times with the tech-related storylines. Um, yeah, that, that's say? the old me. That's the, the old Daniel. you. Now, Daniel, about Daniel the Palmer. Yeah. Daniel Palmer wrote those stories. DJ Palmer does not write those stories. Gotcha. Um, yeah, Daniel Palmer, uh, he's, he's not here anymore. He's gone. We lo- we miss him sometimes. We love him. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. But uh but no, it's DJ now. So DJ his stories or DJ's stories I should say, focus on family drama and with um and psychological suspense. So domestic nice. yeah. stories with uh you know, really where the family is at the root of the the story. Um so with some of the Daniel Palmer books, it was, as you said, extraordinary, ordinary person, extraordinary circumstance. Yeah. And those were, those could be anything. You know, I wrote a book about a group of kids who um, were modern-day Robin Hood, stealing from wealthy parents, giving to charity, and they stole uh, by hacking bank accounts, and they end up stealing $100 million worth of Bitcoin which the Mexican drug cartel was using to launder money. And now the cartel comes to get their coin back and a dad who's a doomsday prepper and a custodian at this prep school where the kids go, um, basically ends up taking on the Mexican drug cartel. And so (laughs) that's a story that Daniel would write. DJ would not write that story, even though there's still family at the heart, because one of the, you know, it's a father-son, one of the kids is under, is being threatened, and the dad is going to, you know, have to save the day. Um, it's not family, the family dynamic, the family unit itself isn't um, isn't really at the core of the story. So I have to find stories now where family issues and family betrayals and that sort of thing really lies at the heart of every one of the the books I'm writing as DJ. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And so you're like rebranding or re, you know, re, almost restarting and you know with a different with a different bent. Now, do you find that any of the tool like any of the tools for building suspense that you used in sort of the earlier stories any of those tools really apply now to the more of the domestic thrillers that you're writing? Well, it's the same basic principles of character, conflict, tension, and stakes. So I still have to have all of those those four elements, really, uh-huh. are, are what I work with. Those are my building blocks for the story. Um, and then it's it's just... I end up taking a different focus. So it's like describing, um, you know, I, I, I read the, I, there was a quote. I, I just quoted it. I don't have the the quote handy right now, but it was uh, from a guy, Robert Peck, I think is the guy's name. He's a author on writing different kinds of, uh, I don't know, he, I think he had one of those books on how to write. But regardless, the, the main thrust of his, quote was, you know, you're almost like writing what you see through the the tube of a empty tube of toilet tissue. You know, you hold that tube up to your eye and that's all you can see and that's all you're going to focus on and that's all you're going to write about. And so 
the while I'm still playing with those four key elements, character, tension, conflict, and stakes, where I focus my eye is different with the DJ yeah. books than with the Daniel books. And it changes in a very, sometimes in a very subtle way, it changes the tone, the tenor, the pacing, all that of the story. And remarkably, that changes the readership. And so the people who, who normally read uh, Daniel books, you know, that group has, you know, some of them have come over to the DJ uh, books for sure, but then the DJ books have expanded into a completely different readership. So now, you know, I have um, people who read um, my books, read books that are very much like what I write. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I like how you have those four aspects that you really look at. And um, and so I was just going to ask really quick to to just delve into that a little bit. When you say stakes, how do you picture or imagine um, or maybe conceptualize the idea of stakes in your stories? Well, if you're looking at, uh, let's say, uh, an action-adventure type book, um, a lot of times the stakes are, you know, the end of the world, let's say. Yeah. Nuclear war, whatever. And it just feels... You know, it feels big. So you create a big canvas and, a, and you create big stakes. The, the stakes, even on a smaller stage where the entire world is in, in jeopardy, but this one family is or this one person is, that can also feel imperative. Um, but it has to, you have to set it up so that, so that it's, it's high enough and big enough that, um, that it matters. So that's where, you know, if somebody, the stakes could be somebody's in jeopardy and you care that somebody's in jeopardy because you actually have identified and empathized with one of the characters who's in, who's in jeopardy. Yeah. So you want to make sure that, you know, what's going to happen to this character who you're trying to make the reader care about is sufficiently bad enough that you're, you're kind of, you know, in that, oh, no, oh, yikes, well, how do they get out of it um, frame of mind as you're reading the story. Now, what are some of the ways that you actually help to pe- help people to have, like, a deeper sense of characterization? Because especially with this new, with sort of the new direction that you're taking some of your work, the characters, are, I know, are super important. And um, dimensionality instead of, like, a cardboard character, like... I don't know, some archetypical, stereotypical character or whatever. What are some of the yeah. ways that you really drive, you know, deepen the reader's uh, emotional connection with the characters that you create? Well, you know, I think you have to find the fallibility in a character. Okay. Interesting. Um, that little piece of vulnerability as well. And ideally have it be something relatable. So it's really hard to write a story where people only make good decisions. Um, and then it's hard to make people care about a character if they feel like this character is making all bad decisions. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a balancing act there. And sometimes you can find a, a, a character or a story where it's just a bad situation that's happened to a a good person. Um, They had good intentions, but even then 
you know, some of the decisions are questionable. Like I'm working on a book right now about a, a young girl with multiple personality disorder, which is actually called dissociative identity disorder. Now that's the updated label. And she is accused of a very heinous crime. And she, um, she was found actually when she was just a small child uh, around four years old in a park. And the woman who found her really made a very concerted effort to um, become this uh, child's mother and adopted her. And so, and then she ends up developing a very serious um, mental health condition. And so there's, there's guilt associated with that. So she did a noble thing. She found an abandoned child and her noble act was to take this child in, but yet she also always wanted for whatever reason to mother a daughter. And it was important to her. She had two sons. And so, you know, and now she's racked with guilt because her whole family is sort of imploded around this, this choice that she made that had all good intentions, but, unintended consequences. And so that, that right there kind of sets the stage for, Oh, you know, you can sort of see your own fallibility and your own maybe judgment, questionable judgment in, in this character. And it allows you to at least start to form that, uh, empathy, that empathetic connection. Um, and again, it comes down to if she starts making too many bad decisions, you're going to start getting angry at the character and so it's a, it's a, it's a tricky balance, you know, in the book, the new husband, um, which, which I just, which just came out the, um, you know, there's a lot of questionable decisions going on there, but I did a tremendous amount of research on abusive relationships mm-hmm. and there were a lot of bad decisions that center around abusive relationships. And they're not bad decisions in the sense of somebody is ignorant they're bad decisions in the sense of somebody feels trapped or feels they don't have a better option or feels this is the best path forward. Um, and it, and it's, and it's a questionable path. And there are, there are reasons to be skeptical of these decisions and choices, but, um, you know, sometimes you, you know, that's sometimes what happens. People make bad choices and live with the consequences. So you have to, you have to really mine those, the topic to find the heart of who these people are and then try to convey that onto the page. Ain't easy. I'll tell you that much. No, that's, that's really interesting. I like when you said that, you know, find the fallibility of the character and, you know, tapping into the vulnerabilities that they have. You know, some people always say, Oh, you need to have a fatal flaw. Like your character needs a fatal flaw and like I I've never had a character with a fatal flaw that I know of in my book. So I like I don't what know like kryptonite? Like that that kryptonite? I, what does that mean? You know <laughs> I know. It's like um I guess in a sense that would be, you know, his you know, Superman's fatal flaw, but um but yeah, they kind of start with a character that you're supposed to have that and then they have to face their fatal flaw in the book. I don't know. But it's it's never well, really worked think, for me I that approach, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not really sure. Like, I think I would think of it more as a, a wobbly moral compass. Would be one. Yeah. I'd be interested. I'd be interested in that. But the idea of, uh, 
you know, I guess, I guess that they must be talking like the Achilles heel, that thing they can't resist, the siren right. song. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you can, you run the risk of going a little tropey there, but you know, it, it's, it's worked for, for some, I, I mean, we all have a, a different, a different uh, path that we see is the way, the way through. Um, well, one of the things I like about, you know, the way you're looking at it is, is this vulnerability, uh, even when you try to do what's right. And I think that is a good, that's an angle that I don't really hear a lot of people mention or, or talk about. So I think that's an, uh, a nice avenue to the empathy that we're shooting for to create the emotional connection, you know, between the reader and the character. And I think that's right. really fascinating. It's a nice angle that I haven't really heard of before. Cool. Well, there you go. And maybe, yeah, maybe I'm doing something right <laughs> or wrong. <laughs> no, you're doing something right. I think. Tell us a little bit more about the new husband, this new book of yours. Oh, um, I guess you know the the high level is it's a, a woman, mother of two, is reeling from a lot of uh, shocking reveals of profound betrayal from her husband who has mysteriously uh, vanished and is presumed to have died in a boating accident. And uh, about almost two years later, she's just decided it's time to move on. And um, she starts up a relationship with her uh, daughter's social, uh, social studies teacher from her daughter's middle school. And he is, really what she needs. You know, he seems to be, uh, the, her son loves him. He's kind of the, the father figure that her husband wasn't. He is in tune with her emotionally. He knows what she needs, um, and is providing for her in a way that she wasn't really getting in her marriage. Um, but she still has a lot of trust issues because of the betrayal. And, you know, really, the story as the story unfolds, the the question that the reader is going to want answered is, you know, who, why is this guy the perfect man for Nina, and what's really happening um, in this in this tale? So, you know, he's he's not the new husband at the start, but he's definitely the um, the top prospect for the gig, and you know the. Nina, Nina will have to find out for herself if this guy is her salvation yeah. or her family's undoing. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Now, I think um, I think I, I like this new direction that you're kind of taking where it really drills deep into relationships with people. It isn't as much the high concept, which um, – which is always the higher concept, the more difficult it is to make it believable. Like what you were saying earlier, you know, about sort of these cartels and everything like that, building up the believability is tough for those kind of stories. But these stories, it's more, um, I mean, the believability seems to come, you know, probably a a little bit easier. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I would actually, when you get through the story itself, Uh uh-huh, um, there's definitely a lot of layers to the onion. Um, so I think I have a hard time 
writing even the domestic suspense without actually having a pretty high concept for the story oh, okay. sure. itself. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a different kind of high concept. Yeah. And it's more of a, it's more of a, I didn't realize that's what this story was versus, you know, um, some, you know, the cartel doomsday prepper, cartel versus doomsday prepper. This is more of a, okay, I think the story is going to be one thing. It seems like a very straight domestic suspense kind of tale. Um, and I will, I will flip it on its head. Nice. Or at least um, I'll try to. Maybe now, I'll just flip myself on the head. <laughs> now, um, when you start a new book, like the project that you're, you've just recently begun, do you tend to know what those twists are, the, the big the plot uh, pivots, um, or do those kind of reveal themselves to you organically as you work on your new stories? Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the. I'm amazed. I guess I shouldn't say I don't understand, but I'm amazed by the people who can, who just say like, "Oh, the um, the plot twist um, came to me at the end." I was like, "Really?" Mine, mine are pretty layered. Uh-huh. So that if one piece isn't in place, it's really hard to pull off the end. So I usually know the beginning and I usually know the end and I have to kind of power my way through the middle. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's very different for different people. You know, it's like um, I I have never started a book that I know how it will end. And it's, um, for me, the, you know, the un covering of the idea is as I write it. So it's it's been a very fascinating sort of journey for me over the years to pick the brains of different authors and writers and, and storytellers and sort of say, what's your approach? And, you know, it varies so much with people. But, um, but yeah, what you said is hard to understand. Like, I can't understand how how someone would start with more ideas than, than I do. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I like, I always love stories that have sort of these pivots or twists or whatever you want to call them, multiple layers where you think that, you know, all of a sudden then wait, uh, what I thought was true is not quite what I thought it was. Those are some of my favorite stories. And I think that they are very difficult to shape and to write and to get the timing, you know, of all the reveals down at the right moment. Right. They're, um, they're, they are, they're tricky in that regard to, to kind of piece it all together and not lose the threads. Yeah. So it's, um, it's definitely a, a balancing act. And on top of it, you have to make sure that you're keeping the momentum going and the pacing going. So it's, it's a, it's a bit of a magic trick. I mean, for sure, for anybody starting out, you know, I, I think it's a very hard, it's a craft. You have to, you have to really study and practice. It's like guitar. Like you can't just, I don't think you can just pick up a guitar and be a, I know you can't, you can't pick yeah. up a guitar and just be a guitar player. Um, so even though we all have the tools to write, we all know how to put words on a page. We are not all, um, you you have to like 
study the elements of the store of crafting stories like we've talked about here in order to keep those threads going and keep the momentum going. And then at the end, have a reveal or whatever your, your twist is that's believable, fun, exciting, engaging, and makes people think, wow, that was a great ride. Yeah. You know, that's how I like to think of my books is it's like you're going on a very long carnival ride with a lot of ups, downs, twists, turns, and, and different, different kind of, uh, unexpected happenings. I actually really like how you emphasize, you know, how much work it is because I have the feeling that, you know, some people think, oh, I could just write a book and, you know, they kind of dive in and nothing wrong with doing that, but it does take a lot of work to really make it kind of, um, you know, work in all, what it was the word, oh, like in all cylinders, to have all the cylinders firing right. to really make the story work. And so it's a good reminder that, you know, it's a ton of work, and it and we have to take it seriously if we're going to do it, if we're going to write, you know, our stories. So. Yeah, and it, you know, I think you can have, um, you can have the, uh, you know, you can have that book in you, and you get that book out, whether it gets published or not published. Um, I think a lot of people probably do have that book in them, but then the, you know, if you want to be a, do this, at, at a certain level, you know one book isn't enough. You got to keep doing it over and over and over again. So, um, you just can't, you know, the, the, the answer to any writing challenge in, in terms of marketing sales or, or whatnot, the answer is always the same, which is write, write another book. <laughs> Well, I am proud of you for doing it, and I'm excited about um, the new husband and uh, also the new projects that you're working. It's interesting that you've, you know, you're almost reinventing yourself, at, you know, after a successful career in a certain genre, I guess. And and uh, so my hat goes off to you. It's hard to do that, and a lot of people just kind of get into a rut where they write the same book over and over again. They just change the location, change the bad guy's name, the love interest, and it's. It's kind of the same cookie-cutter, you know, story. Yeah, that, there's something appealing about that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I should try that. I'm going to work on that. All right, bad guy. All right, good. Love all right, next book. I'm all set. Yeah. I've already, I know, I've already right? written the, the next book just now. It, the whole idea came to me. It's the same book I'm writing now with different characters. Um. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know any other way to do it except you know put in the hours. sit down or stand up, whatever you gotta do, just put in the work. You just have to put in the work. Well, I appreciate the you know, the opportunity to sort of pick your brain. I know you're very busy and um so I thank you for the chance to uh to chat a little bit about story and storytelling and so um and, and uh we want all of our listeners to go and check out the new husband. Um, your latest, uh, your latest, your latest DJ Palmer thriller or suspense, or I don't know exactly domestic thriller, but, um, but check that book out. And, and, um, and so is there, is there a place online where you would like to direct people maybe if they want to see if you're doing an appearance or book signings or anything along those lines? Well, there's, there's no more appearances, but I, <laughs> yeah, I did do some true. zoom. I've done some zoom stuff, which has been kind of fun um i'm not sure i love it but it's all right it's what it is 
Um, but yeah, for the book info, best place is just go to djpalmerauthor.com. And uh, appreciate the time. Appreciate you having me on. It's fun talking story. I, I probably we could have kept going, couldn't we? There's probably a lot more to talk about. I feel like there's a lot still unsaid. Well, no, I appreciate it too. And and uh, also thank you uh, to everyone who's who's listened, uh, tuned in. And uh, my books are at stephenjames.net. You can see some of the thrillers that I've written there. For more info about our other guests and to check out other broadcasts, go to iTunes or Spotify or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we have new shows coming out on Friday evenings. And I hope that um, everyone listening is staying safe and healthy and well. And as I like to say, always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.